Well, hello, Belinda. How are you today? Hi, just fine, Mike. Thank you for having me here. I'm glad you're here. Howdy, and welcome to the Growing the Next Version of You show. My name is Mike Rochelle. I'm a strategic influencer who collects meaningful relationships, actionable philosophies, and methods to help people and organizations refine their purpose for results growth. Every week, I chat with thought leaders as we explore leadership as a mind, body, and spirit, yes, an inside-out experience that helps us grow and make the world a better place. Join me. You've heard Brad. Uh, I think uh, two weeks from now, Charles Crouch comes. This is Fanny Dunnigan. I did, definitely. Charles is the Navy SEAL that we talked about. You're less, you're made right. he's, he's a relative. Okay. <laughs> Very good. Well, it's a pleasure to have you here, Belinda. I'm looking forward to getting into to our history together because Paul and Michael and Erica and our whole family has been blessed by your activities in the community over the years. I'm going to read your bio, then I'm going to ask you to kind of go into who you are from a mind, body, spirit perspective. We'll talk through some topics that we've already kind of rearranged, but we haven't talked about them because I want it to be a, a, a lively conversation. Sure. We're going to then go to the Daughters of the American Revolution. Just found out that you're a great-granddaughter of uh, Davy Crockett. Daniel Boone. Daniel Boone. Uh, sorry. <laughs> I knew I was going to get it wrong, but that's exciting. So that's the, the reason for you to stay and listen to the whole show, there you go. to hear that story. So uh, let's go with your bio. So Belinda has been married to David Nickel for 41 years. She has two daughters, Candace Moody and Courtney Nichols. They have given them two fine son-in-laws, Heath Moody and Robert Nichols, as well as four wonderful grandchildren. Ty Moody, 12, Tatum Moody, 9, Liney Nichols, is that the right name? Lindley. Lindley, mm -hmm. sorry. Nichols, 5, and Colton Nichols, 2. They've lived in Colleyville, Texas for 27 years, where they're a member of the Compass Christian Church. They are lifelong supporters of the University of Oklahoma, and if you're on Facebook with her, you'll know that that's true beyond a shadow of a doubt. <laughs> Supporting the OU Club of Fort Worth, as well as maintaining our football season tickets. During our retirement years, our focus is now on supporting our grandchildren in their various sporting events. We've become big South Lake Dragon fans. Yeah, that's great. Currently, she's involved with the Colleyville garden club and served as president from 2021 to 2022. She serves on district two board of directors for the Texas garden clubs and is also a member of the South Lake PEO chapter. What is PEO? It's a philanthropic education organization. We give out scholarships. Awesome. As well as becoming a member of the grapevine DAR, which is the daughters of the American revolution chapter being the great granddaughter times six of the Patriot Daniel Boone. That's awesome. Now, what I didn't say is I'm going to look at your resume too, because that is impressive. I didn't, I'm not going to, I, a gentleman doesn't ask a lady how old they are, but I'm, fair, I'm fairly certain that you're around 10 years older than me, just given the, the times we graduated from college yes, and yes. things like that. Belinda, when I met her, was the principal at Heritage Elementary, and I'll get into that in a minute. But before that, she was the assistant principal at Heritage Elementary and had an educational background all the way back into Tulsa, Correct. where you were a principal at an elementary school there, mm -hmm. taught as an adjunct professor at Earl Roberts, mm -hmm. many other things. 
she actually worked her way through colleges as an assistant bookkeeper. That was an interesting thing. And you were a science teacher. Yes. Which now makes sense because when I came to you and said, hey, I've got this cool thing from Microsoft oh, called the Worldwide Telescope. It was awesome. She invited me in. And I think for six or seven years, I went there every year during the phases of the moon and taught everybody how to use the, the telescope. Today, I'm going to walk you through a process about how to create something from nothing in the world. Uh, and I'm going to do it with a story uh, from when my wife and I moved from Pasadena, California to uh, Highland Village, Texas, uh, back in the year 2000. Uh, prior to that, I had been a divisional CIO at Seed uh, Richard Ellis for about six years and uh, had the opportunity in Pasadena to use some of the bike trails and things we had there. Also uh, traveled up to Microsoft to uh, service my client who was using several of the product, software products that uh, we had created at Cedar Chadellas to manage their property globally. Um, and in that, we would stay in, and often we would use bikes to ride the trails from Bellevue, Washington to Redmond. And it was a blast and I really enjoyed those trails. Uh, so when I moved to Dallas, I thought, well, maybe this, uh, this new neighborhood we're going into would have that. But we did. So, um, started creating this vision of what it would be like to have bike lanes and trails, uh, not only on the city uh, streets, uh, but uh, in the byways uh, and even around the lake. Um, and found some like-minded people at the Highland Village Parks Foundation. Um, and we created the trail system here in Highland Village from year 2000 to about 2010. Uh, there are still building trails and things around the city, uh, so it's an ongoing process. Uh, but I want to use that as a way to show you how to bring great things into being. The first step is to visualize. What you have to do here is define what it is that you want. You need to be able to define it in such a way in your mind's eye that you can feel it, that you can see it, that you can experience it, so that you can bring it into the present. She also is a, a consummate gatherer of talent in the community, so that's kind of fun. Science instructor at Oklahoma State Department of Education, then Heritage, then Capel Middle School, and then a principal at Heritage. But it didn't stop there. She continued at LASD after she completed her run of 12 years at Heritage as an administrative su substitute for LASD for various elementary schools and also interim director of support staff at LASD. So, and I'm guessing that you're still engaged somehow. It's nice to be asked to be, come back. Yeah. Even though I've been retired, hard to believe, for 12 years, mm -hmm. I've been asked to come back 10 times. That's awesome. So that's awesome. That's very good. Yeah. So, and why? Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to read all of these. I mean, literally, it's a full page of awards. Now, I asked you to do this on purpose yeah. because I love to share people to, with other people. I had right? to sweep the dust off of the resume. Oh, my <laughs> life. I'm going to hit some of the highlights and, and, and then we'll go into how I know you. So the highlights are all the way back in 77, you, you received a presidential leadership award from Washington, D.C., and you were the Oklahoma delegate to D.C. Let's go fast forward. I mean, there's all kinds of nurse commendations from Oklahoma Governor Waters, board of directors for District 1 from the 
OSTA, Oklahoma Science Teachers Association, Union Junior High Teacher of the Year, Principal of the Year, the Quarter, and then and then in 2001, which is around the time that we were looking, Arlene and I were looking to move from California back to Texas. I'm from Houston originally, she's from Puerto Rico, but we wanted to raise kids here. Started looking around and, and the thing that was the most interesting for us in this neighborhood was that the elementary school was a U.S. Blue Ribbon School, but you were also, it was also an individual honor for you as well as for the school. So, and then and even as late as 2009, the LISD Administrator of the Year finalist. So um, there are honors in professional organizations like TASSP, Region X Assistant Principal of the Year, PTA, Honorary Life Member of Texas Congress of PTAs. So the list goes on. There's a whole chapter of things from a community service perspective with many of the places that we talked about, including the president's role at the Colleyville Garden Club. So, wow, a life well spent and, and still growing and, and going. And every year when, when our kids go back as they're graduating at, at the Heritage Elementary School, Belinda is there. That's right. <laughs> so you still have, you have, have you ever counted how many kids? Oh, it's been thousands. Yeah. But we started the senior breakfast in 2001. Heritage okay. had just, that was the year our first group of Heritage fifth graders were going to graduate. Mm. And we've done it ever since. And So you opened the school? We did. Well, I didn't. I was there the second year. Okay. okay. And it was, it was fabulous because the senior breakfast, they come back, it just gets better every year. Yeah. The kids line the halls and clap for the seniors. And yeah. the seniors remember you know, doing that when they were in elementary school for the seniors yes. and now the senior, their seniors coming back. So. Yeah. But it'll be weird next year. This is the last year of the of my fifth of graders when I retired. So I won't know anyone after next year. So that's going to be a, a, a different thing. Yeah, but there's still a there's still, still my a community, brothers and sisters. No pun intended, a heritage <laughs> that's there right. that, uh, that's that right. will never really go away. Toby's doing a great job. Oh, too. he's fabulous. Uh, and has he been there ten years already? He's he's it, yes. This is my eleventh year of retired, so he's good. He he wow. will surpass me as far as being the. There's only been three principals at Heritage: very Mike good. Debolt, myself, and Toby. Very so that's good. that's very little turnover in the 20 plus years that Heritage has been a school. Very good. 25 years now. So the, the targeting of this particular neighborhood because of the schools was important to us. And we actually bought property in Copper Canyon yes. for our retirement because we want to stay in this same, community. Same exactly. And Erica still has three more years. That's right. <laughs> so we, wouldn't, we didn't want to take her No, out. no. But that's really because of you. The first step is to visualize. What you have to do here is define what it is that you want. You need to be able to define it in such a way in your mind's eye that you can feel it, that you can see it, that you can experience it, so that you can bring it into the present. You gotta define your vision so well that you can feel it, you can taste it, you can experience it, you can feel the wind blowing through your hair. But before we get into that, let's let's go back to what made you you. 
you know, what was what was your background? Obviously, you're from from Oklahoma, but what what do you want to share about your background and where you came from, including your faith background? Sure. Gosh, two wonderful parents. I hit the lotto with my mom and dad mm. and my sister. A wonderful family. Grew up in the Oklahoma City area. I was the boy my dad never had. Uh, I went from the time I was born. I went to all the OU games, not just football, but you know, basketball, you know, baseball, track. We wrestling, we supported it all. Was so he a graduate? Of no, he, he didn't go there. In fact, okay. both my parents, neither one had a college education. Okay. And we knew that education was the key to success. Knew from the day I was born, practically, that I would be going to OU. Right. And which now we've had like over 20 people from our family, sisters, brothers, I mean, brother-in-laws, uh, nieces, nephews, daughters. That Do have they all even gone to think OU. about looking anywhere else? <laughs> We tried the brainwashing at a very early age. I'm now none of my grandkids will probably go there, but I am brainwashing the best I can. But okay. they they really instilled hard work ethics. They both were successful. My mom mom worked in the '60s when a lot of women didn't. She had a career at this working for the State Department of Oklahoma, and they really you know we just knew that we would be educated. But my sister is also a principal. She's retired mm -hmm. as well. And so we have a, a, a family of a lot of educators, doctors, mm -hmm. lawyers, mm -hmm. just a little bit of everything. So. Okay. And my parents, we were always Baptist growing up, yeah. grew up in a Baptist church. And then for some reason in the 60s, my parents stepped away from the church for a while. And they, they didn't go back mm -hmm. for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. And so when my when David and I got married, we knew something was missing in our marriage. And one of my friends I worked with, Margie Learned, asked us to go to her church. And we went and we fell in love with it. It was a Christian church. And then they separated and we were one of 10 families that started our own church. Uh, and at that time, Jim Baker and Tammy Baker were kind of popular. Right. We had our own church in our school. So we're, Margie and I taught we rented that on Sundays and we started our own church. We eventually went to a shopping center mm -hmm. and it was really, it instilled a lot that like we taught our children, like David and I would have a weekend where we'd have to clean the church mm -hmm. and taking our little girls to go clean the church. And, and we were all Sunday school teachers. It was fabulous. And by the time we left and were transferred to Dallas in 95, our church had grown to over 200 members. Nice. So that was that was really neat to see that. And so then we joined Compass Christian Church down here okay. and have, been, have enjoyed that. We're not as active as we were years ago. We used to have a lot of different missions that we were in charge of, and we have kind of slacked off a little bit. So that's something that I look for more spiritual growth. Yeah. Well, it's a constant. Thing, oh, it is. Right? It is. I've enjoyed I visit the Methodist Church a lot, White Chapel, and of course, then our own church. Is, and it's a, it's a great church. It's just so big. Yeah. And that's so we have kind of lost our some of the friendships that we had early on when we first were members. Sure. Because it's gotten so big. Yeah. So so I share my, my parents didn't go to, to school either. Uh -huh. And it was an elder in my church that helped oh. me see a vision uh -huh. more than I had could, could think uh -huh. of yeah um he's passed away now but i can't wait to see him again because there are all kinds of things that i want to ask him absolutely yeah you know, that's the that's the kind of relationships that i love to to, to think about those that have really poured into you and uh -huh. and care for you well that's good so so did you guys move here for david's career mm -hmm. and then you it was that's why you moved yes. to schools okay. it was a corporate transfer and we had been in union that's where our, we 
we had raised our children basically. Candace was a sixth grader. Courtney was a third grader when we got transferred and we had just built our dream house. And mm -hmm. I had the named the principal at Peters Elementary there in, in Union at the third year there and worked my way up mm -hmm. from, you know, like sixth grade teacher, eighth grade teacher, and they didn't have assistance. So I got to be named a principal. Sure. I was an interim for a little bit and then, then principal. Mm -hmm. And it was really tough. I remember my dad asked my husband, he says, do you realize what you're asking her to give up? Right. And we really didn't think about that. We, it was a great opportunity for him, yeah. but it was a little scary for me because I didn't have Texas certification. So I had right. to take my tests again. Uh -huh. And I was really fortunate. I took an assistance job, assistant principal at Heritage. And that was kind of nice as I was, I had already got Texas certification and I was able to learn Texas law as an assistant. And Mike DeBolt was great as far as, and we had wonderful staff. And it was only its second year in, in operation. Right. And then I found out that Louisville had a policy on their local board that if you did not live in the district, you couldn't be a principal there. And I lived in Colleyville. And so, oh, that was, that was very, I wasn't going to change my kids' schools after right. we just bought a house in Colleyville. And, and so I left and I went to Coppell for three years. That's why I went to Coppell. Okay. And I got a wonderful call. It was Carla Yoakum who told me that, that Mr. DeBolt was having some issues that they were going to reassign him. And Dr. Downing met with the teachers and they said, well, what kind of principal are you looking for? And they said, well, we, we, we want Belinda Nickelback. And so Dr. Downing called Mr. Eccles at Coppell and they released me from my contract in the middle of the year at Coppell. Wow. And I got to come to, back to Heritage as the principal okay. in 97, 90, that was so they, 99. Did they change the policy to get you back? He did. Dr. Downing gave the out-of-district residency. Yeah. Now that it's still on the books, they do like their high school principals to live in the district, which I understand, but they waived it for me. Mm -hmm. And I was very honored. There was a couple others they ended up waiving it for down the road, but I was so blessed and I was able to come back home. Yeah. And it was tough that first year. They had like 15 teachers that had resigned, but that ended up being a blessing because then I got to bring in people that I yeah. liked. Right. And so it worked out wonderful in that regard. And still a lot of the original, we had hired Mike Klosky that year oh, yeah. and Carly Yoke. He, he did. He just retired and we hired Janelle Dennis that year. Okay. So it was really neat to be able to bring in wonderful folks who I feel like are my second family. Yeah. Yeah, he actually was the one that started the girls on volleyball. Yes. We yes. were talking about that before. Mm -hmm. My daughter Erica's on the JV team at, at Marcus High School now. And a lot of the girls that play on that team started out, I think, in second or third grade with Coach mm -hmm. Klosky mm -hmm. learning how to play volleyball. And, yeah, and uh, Hawks. Yeah, and the dribble. <laughs> she, she wasn't into basketball. Uh -huh. None of mine were into basketball, uh -huh. but he did an awesome job. He did. The cool thing about it is that you built a team, and I think that was part of the part of how you built it into a blue ribbon school. Mm -hmm. So. For those that, that don't know what that is, is there like a certification process? Oh, I mean, what, do you, what do you have to do? It, and what is the what is that process? Because it's not common. Mm -hmm. It's the highest award any school can receive. Mm -hmm. It is quite the process. I asked the staff if that's something that they wanted to, to, to go after, and they said yes. And we were really blessed. It's the Academy Awards of 
schools. Right. The president of the United States gives you the award. Mm-hmm. If it, it, usually it was in the Rose Garden where they would present it. Right. And so in not president when you got it. At that time it was Bush, George okay. Bush. And I'll tell you a little story. It happened when we got it right after 9-11. So it changed everything. And what had happened was we had a wonderful nurse, Jill Brown, and she was a really, really gifted writer. And there were five a core of five of us, Janet Davis, Jill Brown, Phyllis Hamilton, who was the counselor at the time, Sandy Schoen, and myself that were on this, and Janet Davis was on the writing committee. And so it was like we wrote our dissertation. And then you submit it to the United States Department of Education, and then they send a person out to come visit your school to see that, you know, everything that you put on paper on your application was indeed backed up. And so we had a a visiting person from San Francisco, and this is where the heritage community just unbelievably came together. We had already started the outdoor classroom, Texas, our heritage. And I had a father who owned a cement company and it was Sidney Spradling's father. And he said, my daughter's a fourth grader and we were doing it in phase one, phase two, because we couldn't afford to do the whole thing. He says, I want that done by the time my daughter is graduated from heritage. And so he took over Alex Buck, who is a wonderful pillar of this community, he came to me the first year and said, Ms. Nickel, you need an awning on the playground for those kids. He built it, no charge. Same thing with the outdoor classroom. He says, I think I can help you there with an outdoor space. And he built the awning out in the outdoor classroom, got all the permits, and he took care of everything. And we would work on weekends to get that outdoor classroom ready. And it was made us very unique. And even my husband, we would we were out there Taking, they would take cinder blocks and they made the outdoor seating and they would put flagstone around it. And it's still, it's, a, it's an award-winning, it's, it's the ultimate outdoor classroom. But so the, the man from California who came and visited couldn't believe that we had all this. But the community, again, all working together. I remember the moms, one was a decorator and she kind of spruced up our office for us for the visit. Mm-hmm. And, and we kept it that way, of course. And then when we won the award, Again, the heritage community, unbelievable. Usually it would be the principal and the assistant principal and maybe the chief writer would go to D.C. for the ceremony. Well, it was after 9-11 mm-hmm. and we were to go to and had tours of the White House. Dick Army was one of the representatives and he was the Senate majority leader at the time. They all had all of these. They were rolling out the red carpet for us. I asked the administration if I could take more than three Mm. and they were like, and I said, I will pay for their substitutes. Mm. And he said, yeah, but flying all those people. I said, I've got that covered. And we took 12. Nobody had ever done that. And I took one from every grade level. And, but the parents, many of them in the, you know, the, uh, are with the aviation with American Mm. airlines many parents donated their miles, free tickets, and we took all those teachers up there. The PTA sent us a welcome basket. One of the, it was Donna Whitwell at the time, her husband and she were executives with Marriott. We got our rooms at the nicest Marriott where the awards were across the street from where the awards were being presented for $35 a night. The first step is to visualize. What you have to do here is define what it is that you want. 
You need to be able to define it in such a way in your mind's eye that you can feel it, that you can see it, that you can experience it, so that you can bring it into the present. You've got to define your vision so well that you can feel it, you can taste it, you can experience it, you can feel the wind blowing through your hair. As you get clarity on your vision, you need to start articulating what it is that you want to do and sharing that feeling and that vision with others to see if there's anybody out there that shares it. In our case, uh, it was the city government, but we had a Parks Foundation that had already started planning several years before I got involved. So everybody had nice rooms and the PTA had welcome baskets for us when we got there. It was very, very special. And after Janet Davis and I were on the same flight and we flew in and we went straight to the Pentagon and you could see where it had been bombed. I mean, where the plane had crashed. It was, it was unbelievable. And then it was, it was just very surreal. So that changed a lot. So George Bush, we, they canceled all the White House tours from there on. So we didn't get to have it in the Rose Garden. So they did it at the Hilton and Mrs. Bush came. She was an educator, a librarian, and she gave us the award. But it was very special. We rented a limousine, we took tours, and we had a dinner on the Potomac. It was just a very, very special time for all of us. We accepted that award on behalf of everybody. And so even though you can reapply from like every five years, once you're a U.S. Blue Ribbon School, you're always a Blue Ribbon School in my book. It's, it's, it was one of our best accomplishments. So then what curricula-wise or standards of excellence, what are, the, what are the categories that you have to... They look at your percentage of passing rates, yeah. even with minorities, with everything. So it's outcomes it is It is outcomes-based, yeah. as well as what you're offering your students, like you know extracurricular activities. They look at that. Of course, we had a lot of things that the kids could be involved in, from dribbling hawks to the outdoor classroom Cub to Cub Scouts. So it was, it was everything. So they, they looked at some of that, basically how well-rounded you are and retention rate of your teachers. Mm. You know, I mean, they looked at everything. They looked at also your experience across the board mm. of your teachers and the classroom ratio from student to teacher looked at many, many factors. And so we had many, many files that he was going through looking at things. And then he writes his recommendation if we should be receive the honor or not. So that's how we got there. Very cool. Mm -hmm. Well, as I said at the beginning, we chose because of that award, but mm -hmm. then the actual experience was phenomenal. I mean, my oldest uh, just graduated from Baylor with a microbiology degree. I love it. So he's on his path to getting a PhD. Mm -hmm. And uh, from kindergarten through probably second grade, just about every day when I would drive Michael to the, to the round, you were there. <laughs> and I would get out of the car and, mm -hmm. and walk towards you. And Michael would grab my leg. He did. You would peel him off of me and walk <laughs> him into the school. We did. That's <laughs> and, how I became friends with the Rochelle family. Yeah. I loved it. I'll never forget the first day of school for kindergarten for Michael. Yeah. You were walking him across and he didn't want to go. And I said, I promise I'll take good care of him. All walking down because I knew the separation in the classroom would be harder than outside. Yeah. And so I called you at work and then I called Arlene, who was in D.C. at the time. Right. And uh, she was with Ernst and & Young and worked in D.C. And I said, I promise you, he's doing well. He's not crying anymore and he's doing good. <laughs> 
uh, but it was so hard. And, and she, you know, uh, her being out of town and you taking him and but he, he adapted very beautiful, beautifully. And, and I always tell the parents, you have to let us take them, especially if they, if you take them back home on that first day, you lose. It's going to make the second day a lot harder to get them back to school. Yeah, yeah. So his teachers won him over quickly. Fortunately, you didn't have to no, experience Paul that with Paul. Didn't he was, do that. he was just like running into into the school. He's like, bye, mom and dad. See you yeah. later. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but you know, part of part of that award too was the the team that you built having the excellence that you have. I tell everybody that that's thinking about moving into this neighborhood. Oh, you know, this, the teachers at, at Heritage are our family. We, Gina Mitchell, who was your kindergarten teacher, Paul? I don't know her first name. I'm, I'd probably, this is probably a terrible thing for me to say, but it was Miss Larkin. Yeah, was, Ms. yes, Christy Larkin. Christy Larkin, Christy Larkin. Yeah. yeah. So that was... Still there, both of us uh, still there. But then, Miss Yoakum was first grade, right? Yes, yes. So she had all three of them. She did. I and that. then who was uh, second grade? She is not there anymore for me, but I had Miss Hicks. Yes. Miss Hicks, Ms. okay. Hicks. Lindsay okay, Hicks. so then third grade was... We all had Betty Jackson. Miss Jackson. Miss Jammin Jackson herself. Jammin Jackson. Jammin Jackson, yeah. I couldn't wait to hire her. And, you know, she retired from Oklahoma. I know, that I was, know. That, that was amazing. Yeah, so the thing about it is that it's like a it's like a private school mm -hmm. in a public school setting from a quality perspective. Yes, it is. And, and with all the parents involved and everything, it was just a fabulous start starting point for our kids. And I think for everybody that's uh, that's involved, and so we're biased because we're we're a part of the family, right? But that's a that's a big part of community, and the way that Arlene and I have always looked at it, and I know that this wasn't the experience that you had with all parents, <laughs> was that we were partners with you in the education of our children, and so it was it was a great pleasure. So how do you how do you find staff that have that kind of heart too? Because it's not it's not just a job. I mean, it is a calling right? For the, the level of teacher that you were able to, to, to get there. And many of them can completed their entire process and have retired. Well, it is tough. And, I, and one of the things that I did is I always ask each grade level to have at least two people, or if the whole grade level could come and sit in on the interviews. And that way they could uh, kind of tell right away if that person clicked with their, their team. Right. And that was one of the the best things that we did, we asked a lot of different types of questions, even, you know, looking for their empathy, looking for, of course, their knowledge in the subject matter, but a caring. We really wanted to see if they cared for students yeah. and not just looked at it as a job. Yeah. And, you know, that was probably the key ingredient. We had very little turnover from year to year. The hardest thing that I would have to do sometimes if we didn't have the numbers to make the enrollment for each you know, section, I would have to move a teacher to another grade level or worst case scenario, another school in Louisville. But, you know, basically it was working together as a team and I made sure that everybody had the same buy-in. Yeah. So one of the other things I think because of the, the, I mean, the PTA is very involved. Oh, extremely. I don't know. I don't know what their budget is, but it's extraordinary. Oh, it is. It was. And they, they drive a lot of things. And that happened in yes. middle school and, and, yes. and again in high school too here at LISD. We're in a fairly affluent neighborhood, right? So you have had experiences where you're not in those in those neighborhoods. That's, that's so correct. so what is the difference? And then I'm gonna tell you some experiences that I've had that you were you were part and parcel in getting me into those experiences, but um, 
answer some, that. What you, how, how is it different, yeah. and, and what, do you, what does an educator have to do differently in that situation? Well, a lot of it, what I saw when I was in a, a school that had different demographics, mm -hmm. they seemed to be a little bit more appreciative as far mm -hmm. as we appreciate everything you're doing for our children yeah. um, and, and, and usually always supportive. Not always, but most yeah. of the time. In a high socioeconomic area, oftentimes it's like, you got to do more. And then in kindergarten, I always would tell my kindergarten teachers like Miss Mitchell and Miss Larkin and, and that, you know, you have the, the hardest job because you're going to be the bearer of bad news right. to that parent that doesn't think that, I mean, that thinks that their child is the most gifted child in the world. The and they're all gifted. They just right. open up their packages at different times. It's sure. just that, that they might not be on level. And they had, they had a hard time doing that because a lot of the, the expectations are so high, which is great with mm -hmm. a high socioeconomic area. And like mm -hmm. what I always told my teachers and the parents is that we would want the best for our students, for our own kids. And therefore, you just make sure that you, you give them your best. Mm -hmm. If you have to be a sage on the stage, do it, you know, whatever yeah. it takes. But usually I always had parent support. I remember one time, and I won't use names, but... It's different sometimes how parents react to discipline. Oftentimes in a low socio area, they'll say, oh yeah, they did that at home. You, you, you lower the, you know, the beam on them and, and, and give, them, give them the worst punishment you can. And at Heritage, most of the time I would get that, but sometimes it would be like, well, what was the other kid doing? My kid didn't do that. It was his fault or, you know, it was the other kid's fault to make my child do that. And that was kind of rare, but I started seeing more and more of that a little bit where another parent would say, oh my gosh, I'm so embarrassed that they did that. Like one time, well, I know I won't even use the example because they could figure it out, but you know, they were just, you know, it was just the exact opposite. I kind of got off the phone thinking, oh my goodness, I just talked to two parents. The kids were good friends and got two different responses. Mm -hmm. So that was a little bit that, and I've seen that change a little bit now and, and with, you know, with the technology changes, mm -hmm. kindergarten teachers would tell me that, and I saw this before I retired, you know, you'd ask the kids to come over and sit and let's have story time or center time and, you know, go over the calendar and the day. And, and, and some of the kids would, kindergartners especially, would say, no, I want to stay here and work on my computer station mm -hmm. or make me, you know, and you're just like, whoa, where did that come from? So a little bit different, but I think that's also generational. Yes. Uh, you look at your great grandparents and how afraid they were of their parents mm -hmm. and of their teachers. And they wouldn't think of misbehaving. Right. And then I look at my own children and I saw that become a little bit more lax. I saw that even in my own generation. Mm -hmm. And then now I see it even more laxed, you know, as sure. far as, and I'm not saying that spanking or, or anything like that. I'm not being an advocate of that. I'm just saying that the respect, you see it in the grocery store with, you know, the screaming kids and they're not minding their parents. And mm -hmm. so it's really hard for the teachers to have, you know, classroom discipline. And that's just, like I said, that's generational. Yeah. The first step is to visualize. What you have to do here is define what it is that you want. You need to be able to define it in such a way in your mind's eye that you can feel it, that you can see it, that you can experience it, so that you can bring it into the present. You've got to define your vision so well that you can feel it, you can taste it, you can experience it, you can feel the wind blowing through your hair. 
As you get clarity on your vision, you need to start articulating what it is that you want to do and sharing that feeling and that vision with others to see if there's anybody out there that shares it. In our case, uh, it was the city government, but we had a Parks Foundation that had already started planning several years before I got involved. After you've figured out how to articulate your vision, you have to find those that actually share your dream as well. Uh, a lot of times, in, in our case, uh, the, the director of the, the uh, Parks Department was a great ally in not only packaging and getting the ideas into a format that they could be funded by both the local city and the federal government, uh, but had experience in doing that. So she was a wonderful blessing to us. Her name was Rhoda Savage. So Rhoda, if you see this, thank you. Here we are in one of the entrances to the trail that's been here for quite a long time here in Highland Village. And we're gonna go over to the map. You can see that it's multiple miles long, 2.7 miles long. It actually continues on uh, to Doubletree Park now. So, and that's, that's interesting. So the, so what do you think, and, and you know, part of what I'm doing with Leadership In and with the growing program that we're on is trying to model potentially conversation, dialogue, Absolutely. right? Now, and I, I've said this on, with multiple guests, I don't have a lot that I don't think that you and I would disagree on. Uh -huh. Hopefully we'll find something so, so that we <laughs> can have a real have dialogue. Have a little debate. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, you know, so with what, what you're telling me, I, I have seen that too. You know, it's not it's not the tack that we took because we would take the teacher side 95% sure. of the time yeah. because mm -hmm. we know our kids right. quite well. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, Paul. <laughs> so, but it's not, it, and, and what I mean by side is that we're working to the education of a young mind to become a more mature, disciplined, right. productive mind. Exactly. Right. And so that's a, that's a partnership that you have. It's interesting that sometimes that's not in, in, and I have a different perspective because that's, I came from a low socioeconomic status too, mm -hmm. right? And so I, ha I have aspirations to grow, not just for myself, but my kids can grow to, to do things more than I did, uh, sort of like what you did yes. and what you're doing for your kids, right? right. And that's the way that that should be. And it is. So, so then if that, if that doesn't exist though, right, how do we, how do we kind of reinstill that kind of, I, uh, of thinking? Cause I think of, I think I put it in here. You know, the a thriving community has many legs, parents and citizens. And I said citizens on purpose because right. we can talk about that. Mm -hmm. Faith community, schools, mm -hmm. you know, chambers and associations, you, your associations, I'm in associations. Right. What am I missing? What are, what are there, are there other components to those, that stool that, that grows a beautiful mind, a thriving citizen who is a giver, right? And what's missing today? Yeah. You know, you and I have talked a little bit about this is it's the kindness and the love and I just um, and I wouldn't expect everybody to love their principal or to love their teachers or I'm not talking about that we do we they could tell we care for the kids even the my my most worst you know my frequent flyers so to speak yeah. I hear from them as much as I do my my star sure. stellar students well, you got to know because I got to know them very well <laughs> exactly and you could always kind of see sometimes where they might have been missing something at home or, or even if some had very loving parents and, and they still had problems. Right. But I think 
a lot of it, I mean, it it's nature trust. Or yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think it's both because we, we, it's trust too. I mean, you, you and I used to, we could read the newspaper and pretty much know that everything we read was pretty accurate with the AP releases, et cetera. And now you're like, nobody trusts even the media and nobody no, trusts. I don't even listen to it. Exactly. And so it's the, the whole, the, the world has changed in that regard too. And it's not just the technology aspect either. I have seen that be a factor, even with my own grandkids, I, you know, I see them giving kids the iPad to keep them quiet or to entertain them. And I'm like, okay, guys, no more screen time, you know, and I, but I can, I see where you use it too. And so the dialogue is different. You know, I used to call it floor time where parents would sit on the floor and play with their kids right. and help them with their vocabulary and kids would color and write. Right. And now you look at their handwriting and it's hardly legible, but they say, oh, well, they're going to be using the Well, they don't even computer. teach. They don't. They don't take grades on it anymore. Yes. And so that's sad. And spelling's another thing that's gone by the wayside a little bit because of the autocorrect and spell check and everything. So I personally appreciate that. Me too, because <laughs> I, I'm not a phonetic awesome. reader. So I went to a Catholic school for a little bit growing up. It was my parents needed it for the daycare and they uh, were kind of ahead of their time in the 60s. You could drop sure. your kids off off and then pick them up after work and so instead of we had catholicism instead of phonics mm -hmm. so i have very poor phonetic skills mm -hmm. so i'm grateful for spell check as well yeah. but um it's i i just I, I wish there was just one thing that i could say this is the reason why mm -hmm. i really can't say there's just a plethora of things i mean church a lot of people don't go to church anymore and i'm not saying that that's you know the, the answer but i think the trust level and and just people being mean to one another i i look at these campaigns and i actually took my landline out because mm. i was so tired of all of the robo solicitation calls. the robocalls etc and i look at this the mudslinging of the campaigns i'm like well who do you believe you know it's just it's uh, that that has all changed considerably you know so yeah. i mean and, I, and I, I think that filters down to the schools and to the home life as well yeah, and now they have the great big debate our teachers the parents you know with the crt and the things that are coming into schools that should yeah. or shouldn't and you're just like well let's just get back to the basics and just teach you know the the the, the basics and not worry about all the different things but they they are a part of the society and i, I it's just saying it's sad to see yeah. i feel like teachers nowadays are walking on eggshells as our principals yeah. as far as trying to do what's right and then you throw in the 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 gun control and everything else mm -hmm. that's very scary yeah yeah there are a lot of issues oh it is when one could be overwhelmed and maybe even concerned however mm -hmm. What I've, what I've chosen to do is to be proactive. Absolutely. Right? And to model what I know to be a way of life that is, that is fruitful mm -hmm. and that produces strong kids. That's right. You know, and I think you're, you're a part of that too. Oh, yes. Have been and always will be. So history is actually an interesting way to, I want to stay positive, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm searching for language to use here. I know. And I, I like, like so, to, so I choose I know, to be happy. I, I did a, a deep study on CRT and I know what its roots are right. before it was race theory. It was just critical theory. Right. Right. And it's bad. It's mm -hmm. not good. It's Mar it's Marxist in its, mm -hmm. in its, in its roots. But instead of directly trying to contradict it uh -huh. let's let's go to like what you're doing with the daughters of the american revolution go and celebrate the history that made us great right right 
the one of the I've done leadership development classes for 23 years. And the school that I went to, to, to learn was led by a gentleman named Dick Dooley. He lives in Cape Cod. So hello, Dick. <laughs> and he's, re he's been retired for many years now, but he was friends with Mortimer Adler, oh. who was at Chicago. He was, he was an IT, what we call a chief information officer mm -hmm. before they called him that right. for banks in Chicago. So he knew Adler from the sure. school in Chicago. He went to the Aspen Institute, which was kind of a think tank, kind of mm -hmm. advanced learning kind of a thing. And then created this leadership forum that I, cont I continue to do. Love it. Uh, a little bit different than we did, we did before because technology has changed and people have changed. We can't spend two or three days away not thinking about work anymore. That's you know, you have to do it in smaller bites, mm -hmm. stuff like that. But the, the philosophy is sound. <clears throat> and a lot of what his program was developed on was the great books. Oh. So the, the book that we started out with was How to Read a Book by Mortimer Adler, mm -hmm. which introduces syntopical learning, which is where you actually will read at an analytical level, which is the fourth level of, of reading, right. three or four books of the masters of a particular topic, and then you synthesize what say, their questions the are. That's uh -huh. the syntopical. Uh -huh. And then you got the application. <laughs> and, then you, and then you put the application, yes. and then that's where you, as, as the learner, then get to translate and say, well, let's add this to it, right? Mm -hmm. And it, then it becomes your topic. Lots of synthesizing. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful it thing. So that's kind of how leadership is. And it's a it very is. personal thing. So everybody has to, has to go through those kinds of learnings. Mm -hmm. But I move from the great books and the great ideas to virtues primarily because it's older, True. right? But before we go on to that, let's talk about the great books. Right. Right. So the Western civilization has made possible the advances that we as a society have seen. Mm -hmm. Right. So with all the problems that we're having, <laughs> we still have a legacy. That's true. A heritage. That's right. Of beauty and of growth. And yeah, there's junk all along the way. Well, that's kind of how humanity has always been. That's true. Right. So, so, but then the virtues gives you a, a way to have a conversation beyond faiths, mm -hmm. beyond culture, because all people groups eventually get down to love is a great thing, mm -hmm. right? Compassion is a way to be joyful and happy and, and all of those kinds of things. So a lot of the things that, that our constitution were built on were sort of at the pinnacle at the time of all of that learning through all of civilization for all time. And those myths became codified. And so there's a beauty in the way that it's created. It's messy, right? It is. Politics is nasty. <laughs> it is. And if you go up to the 1800s, they were nasty with each other oh, too. Oh, they were. Right? They were. And I was in DC. I spent three months on the hill mm -hmm. after Watergate. And so mm. believe me. And so I, what were you doing there? I was, I don't like to use the word intern, because, ah. <laughs> but I was an intern. <laughs> So it was part of that presidential leadership. Okay. We stayed at Marymount College and we had delegates from all over the United States. And so we worked with, we had classes on leadership as well as assigned to your state senators. And okay. so it was, it was quite the experience and That's it was, awesome. it was something that, you know, I cherish. I did the Motorola leadership. I've done a lot of the different leadership. Of course, we both talked about the seven habits, but right. you know, and, and I look at the kids cause like you said, the emotional aspect. Of, of a child's growth is so vital. I mean, and, you know, you think of the physical needs and look at so many kids whose physical needs are not met. 
where they come to school hungry. And then the schools are now feeding kids breakfast and lunch. Right. And we even send backpacks home with food on weekends. And you were know. we doing that at Heritage? We were. And See, I, I was oblivious to that. It, we had a small percentage, but there were that we gave scholarships for Camp Classen to anybody, like somebody might have lost their job or something and couldn't afford the, the tuition. But we also helped other schools in Louisville. And that's the beauty of Louisville is because it is diversified with lots of different socioeconomic areas and, and students that have needs that are we would give a lot of we give books to central every year and we give we give scholarships also to other schools for camp classing or yeah. even for book supplies and our pta was very discreet about handling that they would come to me sometimes and say who can't afford their book supplies and you know because those especially some of those supplies that you the kits that you order at the beginning of school right. some of them we tried to keep them down but some of them they were in the 80s you know, $80 I worth. Know, and, it, and when you've yeah. got three children and you're right. buying school supplies and, you know, you're getting $100 practically every pack, that's $300. Right. And so oftentimes I would just give them some names of, I know that this mm. family has had some hardships or whatever, recent divorce and no income on, on certain things. So it was, we were, we, we tried to be very discreet about that, but sure. always aware, always right. aware. Right. <laughs>First step is to visualize. What you have to do here is define what it is that you want. You need to be able to define it in such a way in your mind's eye that you can feel it, that you can see it, that you can experience it, so that you can bring it into the present. You gotta define your vision so well that you can feel it, you can taste it, you can experience it, you can feel the wind blowing through your hair. As you get clarity on your vision, you need to start articulating what it is that you wanna do and sharing that feeling and that vision with others to see if there's anybody out there that shares it. In our case, uh, it was the city government, but we had a Parks Foundation that had already started planning several years before I got involved. After you've figured out how to articulate your vision, you have to find those that actually share your dream as well. Uh, a lot of times, in, in our case, uh, the, the director of the, the uh, Parks Department was a great ally in not only packaging and getting the ideas into a format that they could be funded by both the local city and the federal government, uh, but had experience in doing that. So she was a wonderful blessing to us. Her name was Rhoda Savage. So Rhoda, if you see this, thank you. Here we are in one of the entrances to the trail that's been here for quite a long time here in Highland Village. And we're gonna go over to the map. You can see that it's multiple miles long, 2.7 miles long. It actually continues on uh, to Doubletree Park now. The last step along the way, after you've taken the time to be patient and executed, is to go and enjoy your vision. Go out and, and enjoy what you've created, uh, share it with people, help them to have a better life. After you've then enjoyed it, then it's time to rinse and repeat. And that is to learn and change and grow and vision a new vision, dream a new dream.
create something new uh, and continue the cycle of learning throughout life. So I hope that this series has been interesting to you. Uh, it is free of charge on uh, Leadership In as a micro class. And uh, I hope that uh, it's been both uh, entertaining and enjoyable to you and that you go out and create something new today. Thanks and have a great day. Bye-bye. And, you know, looking at a child's emotional needs, sometimes it would break your heart. I mean, I had a, a student that I was very close to in Tulsa, and the counselor came to me. I was at that time teaching eighth grade, and she says, I have a young lady who's just going to come to school part-time, but I want to tell you her history. And uh, it's been on the news, so I mean, I, can, I won't say the names, but mm -hmm. her father had raped her. And he told her if she ever told her mom, he would kill her mm -hmm. and her mom. Mm -hmm. And she told, and in fourth grade, this happened to her. And in fifth grade, she told somebody, and he killed her mom. Oh, He's in prison. Well, luckily, she was adopted by some other family members. But when I left Tulsa, that girl had came and helped me actually move out my office and stuff. And I've had lunch with her, you know, in, in Eve as recently as a few years ago. But how do you teach a child who's been through something like that? Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's probably one of the most awful situations a child that could, could experience. But it's, you, you have to sometimes, you know, we had one of our students a few years ago that you knew that had, you know, a brain tumor in fifth grade. Mm -hmm. And um, we got to the point where we were telling the parents, just live don't even worry about going to school in sixth grade. You know, I mean, it was just one of those things where you look at what's more important. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, every child has a, has a different story, but sure. you have to, I think if you don't have educators that are empathetic about what's right. going on in that child's life, you need, you need to know. Yeah. So, and from that perspective of, of among all these different groups, then you're a connector that kind Absolutely. of helps coordinate help to those that need it. Oh, yes. I look at for, you know, any educator that has a heart and caring nature. I mean, like I said, we always said that heritage felt like family mm -hmm. and we still feel that way. I mean, yeah. Toby's good about calling me if somebody's lost a parent or, or whatever. And I know when I lost, that was one of the reasons I retired mm -hmm. so early. I, I probably made a mistake of retiring too early because I love my job and I had a great school, great community, mm -hmm. great teachers. Um, my mom died of cancer and she died quickly. And in Oklahoma City, I still had like 12 teachers who took off and I and Betty Jackson sang at the funeral, but drove up to Oklahoma City for the day and back for the funeral. Did the same thing 88 days later when I lost my dad. And by losing both of your parents who you love dearly so quickly, I just thought, well, you know, there's more to life. I don't want to die at my job and I might as well live. And I had a grandson that was just born. And so that was one of the reasons why I retired to be, to, and I did help his first year of life with, with them a lot. And, but it was important, but you know, you just kind of look at the overall picture and what's most important in life. And, but I did really look for teachers that cared about students and I, we did me in the bags. This is so crazy, but I did this even in middle school at Union. And I was real tickled. My granddaughter's a fourth grader was doing it at South Lake just when the first started with school. But the first day of school, I would bring about four items that told about myself personally and shared it with the kids. And I said, now your first homework assignment is you have to bring yourself in a bag, 
me, we called it me in the bag tomorrow. And we want to learn about each and every one of you. And those kids, it was, of course, in eighth grade, I was like, oh my gosh, I hope they don't bring a roach clip or something that is inappropriate, <laughs> you know, but I'm telling you, I'll never forget this one. And I've really tried to find him on Facebook because I've stayed connected with a lot of my students. Some are in their fifties and because I was only 10 years older than my sixth graders. And when I first started, right. But this young man, I'll tell you this story real quick. His name was Steven and he volunteered first. He had a grocery bag of stuff. I was like, oh my gosh, he bought more than four items, but you know, I wasn't going to say anything. And he gets up there and he starts pulling out all of these model airplanes and he starts to talk. He goes, my name is Steven and I want to be an airplane pilot. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I didn't know he had a speech impediment. And here he is talking and you could hear a couple of snickers. And of course I was giving these dirty looks and, and he just was fabulous. And went on and on and talked about wanting to be an airline pilot. I was writing a, a note already, A plus, I'm so proud of your, you know, of your determination and, and et cetera. And um, anyhow, then after he said all this and he goes, and another thing, I don't like it when people make fun of the way I talk. And I was like, oh my gosh, a pin could drop with these eighth graders. And he went on to say that he had been born deaf and that he had a cochlea transplant. He'd had 11 surgeries. He was only 13 and he had 11 surgeries in his life, major surgeries on his ears and his hearing. And it was just amazing. And I was just so proud of him telling the class and we were like a family and really close. And about two months later, of course, this was a real junior high. There was some ninth grade boys and they were walking behind Stephen and, and they were in their letter jackets and Stephen played football. He, he was a big boy too. And they're going, and this little girl, I'm friends with her on Facebook. I just admired her so much. Her name's Jessica. She went up to those ninth grade boys and said, look, don't you make fun of Stephen. He has had 11 surgeries in his life. He was born that way. And I mean, she just gave him the right act. And I didn't, I was, cause I was about to intervene cause it was a form of bullying and boy, that girl took care of it. But I just share that story because it just, it shows that when you're close and I'm, uh, it's like when teachers greet a child, every child coming in the door, you're welcome and you you wanted to be there and they know that. I had a right. sixth grader one time, he lives in New York City now, and he came up to me and says, Miss Nickel, you really like your job, don't you? And I said, yes, I sure do, Keith. And he goes, well, I knew you did because Mrs. So-and-so I had last year, she did not like her job. <laughs> and I mean, that was a fifth grader with his insight, but they have to know that you want to be there and that you love them and that you, or not, maybe not love, but you care for them. You Definitely. Know? So I didn't need to go on on that. So. No, no, this, it's all good. So the, the, I, I'm, I'm welling up with pride for what you are and what you do, but I, I also love that myself. Right. So when I basically go through life and as the kids go through different places, then I put myself in where they're going to be. Absolutely. Right. Like with Cub Scouts when, yes. when we were there at oh, Heritage yes. and, and then at Crossroads Bible Church, I was doing music, you know, so it was, it was the worship for the kids. And one of the, one of the ladies that was there said the difference between what you do and what most other people is that you actually expect them to learn how to sing. <laughs> exactly. And I'm like, well, yeah, because everybody can learn how to sing. You know, it's what? like you, you, teach me. you can teach them parts <laughs> and they can actually do it. You did it. I mean, it was great. And, and there we had a phenomenal musical program. I can't remember the name of the guy anymore, but, uh, we had all kinds of students who were playing drums or wow. keyboards or bass or whatever. So you never, when I would show up as the leader, I would have my music and I never knew who I was going to get. Wow. 
right? So you had to you had mm -hmm. to get that going, and then the kids would come in. It was a blast. I love but, it. But that but that expectation of excellence Absolutely. is the thing I think that makes a difference. And then if you believe mm -hmm. in each child that Absolutely. they can do it, or Absolutely. or young adult or adult, you know, exactly. that and and seeing them get it. Mm -hmm. is the is the thing then that drives us right oh yeah and i i asked that of my teachers in some of our service you know staff development is one time i asked them write down all the teachers who made an impact in your life mm -hmm. and boy it's usually the common thread is that they believed in me they mm -hmm. saw something in me that nobody else saw just like that elder or that i didn't remember right like that yeah. elder saw in you yeah. and I, I remember when i was at this catholic school i went in the middle of the year i came from public to private and they were an all-day kindergarten and i was just a half a day they were already reading mm -hmm. and i was put on an academy award performance of, to, to sister jude that i didn't feel good yeah. when they were starting to read and she would let me go lay down on a cot and that mean old principal, Sister Bernadette, would say, Belinda, you're not sick. You get it back in there and you learn to read. You know, she knew what I was doing. Yeah. And I was grateful for that. But I remember very, very shy and wouldn't talk. And I, like I said, I was intimidated that they were further ahead of me. I caught up in first grade. It was no big deal. But then they asked me to be in their play. The only first grader, I got to be the little angel. And they saw something in me that nobody else saw. Right. Because I, like I said, I was very shy. It was a new school. And they did that. And I think that really, and they even for kindergarten, I was the MC, which was crazy because I was so quiet, but they, I don't know if it was mine because I, I, I could use big words or something in kindergarten, but I was the, I mean, my parents kept the little speech and I had to memorize it. Welcome ladies and gentlemen, you know, it was crazy. But so I am always grateful for those teachers who saw something in me yeah. and, and that's what you want to find every teacher is that they can find something in every, good in every child and yeah. make them believe in themselves. So the, the other thing that is impressive to me is that not only have you done that, but you keep up with all the, with these kids, oh, right? Now I, I know it. that you can't keep up with everybody, but uh, it, there are, uh, there are those that you uh -huh. do. So let me lay a scenario out for you. And it's the, it's one that I'm trying to figure out how to solve <laughs> uh, for myself sure. right? and for society, because I'm, I'm, uh, giver by nature, and I want to make an impact. You you know? So the a friend of mine who is at the the local Jewish congregation is one of my students from probably 15 years ago when he was a director at Radio Shack. Uh -huh. He now runs the office there at the synagogue. But he contacted me, said, hey, I've got this young man who has just graduated from college. He's having a heck of a time trying to find a job. It's in technology. Uh -huh. you, you're still more, oh, you know, yes. more active than I am and know uh -huh. things more. Uh -huh. Can you meet with him? I'm like, yeah. About the same time, I had a, a get together with another friend of mine here in Highland Village area. And one of his friends came to that get together and he said, hey, my son is about four years out of college and he's having a heck of a time mm -hmm. figuring out what mm -hmm. to do and how to do it. So I went to lunch with the, with the four of them. Love it. Right to under to see how I could help, yeah. and and it's something that I've seen in the in the in my you know in our, my own experience with dealing with young people as well that they there at some level there is a lack of passion or hope for the future or knowledge about how to apply themselves in this world, mm -hmm. and it's different than my generation, yes. right? So I was born in the December 31st of 64, so I was mm -hmm. right on the edge of baby boomer right. and, 
and the next generation, probably more like the next generation, but still I have some of the proclivities of the old one too, older one. So there are generational differences, right? And I, and I teach strength, so I know that there are personality differences. So the nurture nature thing is a, is a very important part, but people can rise above any circumstance, Absolutely. right? By, by nature. But, the, but by and large, there's a lot of people that are just kind of floating. Mm -hmm. They don't know where to go and what to do. Many of them have a faith background, mm -hmm. right? So I'm thinking through the, through the stools. Right. They went to good schools. Right. They have a good family. They have, you know, they, they, they know, I think, the things that, that your program would have taught them as a young person. And they've progressed through life. But they're still listless and not exactly mm -hmm. knowing where to go. So... Putting on your knowledge of everything that you've seen, what are, what are the things that we need to do to help them to thrive? What you know, and and this can be an ongoing conversation. Oh, yeah. We don't have to answer it all no, now because it is. It's one of those. I used to pose you that. See it, yes, and I would pose that question oftentimes to my students. I yeah. said, "Hey, you know, if I had a student from, let's say, with a degree from the University of Oklahoma." Right. And I'm one from that. Harvard. <laughs> and I, I'm the president of a bank and I give them, I hire them both. And I give them both the scenario of we've got a big customer coming in on Monday. I want you to come up with the proposal on the, this weekend and, and we'll see which one will get to present it to the customer. The, the kid from OU works all weekend. And he's got a great presentation and it's just unbelievable. And then the guy from Harvard, he doesn't have anything written down. He's got all his ideas in his head and he's going to give him a selling point because he's from Harvard. Right. You know, who am I going to choose to present that to the customer? Right. And even, even if they don't like OU, they'll usually say, well, I would pick the people, the person from OU who worked. The person who prepared. Who prepared, yeah. exactly. So <laughs> I kind of share that story because I feel like it's work ethics. I think it's determination, desire. You know, there's a lot of people with a zillion degrees that, that can't work or get along with people. Right. And I'm not saying that they can't get along with people. It's just sometimes it's just the they've got to find their purpose and they've got to have, find their own confidence too to, to do the job. And I think that's part of the problem. I mean, now what are we in with the great resignation? Nobody wants to work. Right. <laughs> and, and that uh, seems to be generational. It, it is generational. And I think that it's also, like I said, it's just, it's, they've got to have that desire, put the fire under them. And I mean, Betty Jackson's a good example. A lot of people didn't want to look at Betty and our district at that time were allowing me to go up to Oklahoma and I would recruit at job fairs. And that's how I found Joyce Hines and, 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 and Betty Jackson. Okay. Uh, they had retired from Oklahoma system and they wanted to go down to Texas because for one thing, you could just work for five years and they had grandkids down here and you could be, at that time, you only had to work five years to be vested. Now it's wow. 10. And then you could get a, a second retirement mm -hmm. and make like a minimum of 10,000 more a year. Mm -hmm. what, I mean, my Oklahoma friends would say, don't even show them that pay scale at, at Louisville, you know. And so Betty had just retired from Winniewood and her husband, my dad knew Mr. Jackson Galen, and he was the high school principal there. Okay. 
and he chose to he had had enough and he was just ready to rest and he wanted to play golf and he he was the marshal there at Dallas at the Cowboys golf golf course there in Grapevine oh, was he and really? he he was he's such a card such a personality big big personality and Betty felt like she she was only at that time I think she was only in her early 50s mm -hmm. and she still felt like she had a lot more teaching in her and I knew I wanted to hire her now the district they were they allowed me to do that because she came in at the top of the scale mm -hmm. you know with all that experience as, sure. as that's how they pay teachers is by their experience mm -hmm. and so i was really fortunate to get that good of a teacher but let me tell you a betty jackson could work circles around some of my just out of college oh, of but she was also a fabulous mentor to those just out of college sure. and so you kind of look at pairing kids you know maybe that don't have the drive with somebody like a Betty Jackson or somebody in the corporate world who who you want them to mentor with is I think that's really very valuable and I think it's also good to have a nice mix of experience and and new blood as well sure. so I, I think that's important with the younger people to to see that a little bit and to see how the old school so to speak you know watch a person that gets to work early every day or stays late or gives it 110 percent and when others are saying do we have to do that you know right, right. and so i think that's important well she gave almost 200% every, oh, she did. every year. She did. And she still <laughs> With does. all the different programs that she, she did does. in addition to the regular curricula. Oh, exactly. But I think those are powerful, Absolutely. right? All of the, the, the song, the musicals that she did. Exactly. Uh, we still remember it. And matter of yes. fact, on, in the conversation that I had with Brad, we talked about uh -huh. Betty Jackson. She remember I remember. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So we've talked a little bit about this, but if there's one attitude in society today that you could change you could have your magic wand and say stop doing that what would it be and you don't have to limit it to yeah, one if there's more than it's, that it's the attitudes you know people being kind to one another i always believe that happiness begins with gratitude and i think we should all be grateful that we are here on this earth and be thankful for the moments and you know uh, when I'm driving along and, and I do, I'm, I'm, I, my foot can be a little heavy sometimes, but you know, if somebody flips me off or something, heaven forbid, I just laugh it off. I just start laughing. Uh, I, I think there's no sense in getting upset over road rage, you know, and I see people do that. I'm thinking, why are they so unhappy? Why are they, they, you know, so upset? So I, I have learned just to let things roll off and to, I would love to see our society be kinder to one another, you know, help one another, be happy. I, I always would say a smile costs nothing to give. And usually when you smile at somebody, they'll smile back. Yeah. I know you, we've talked about travels and I, I made it a game when I was in Russia to smile and see if I could get a smile back. <laughs> and they're, they're just so gloomy. And I'm just like, I mean, it, finally, I was talking to my friend. I said, I, I can't get anybody to smile. And this one lady, we were going up an escalator the other way. And I think she understood enough English and she smiled back uh, because I think she knew I, what I was trying to do, yeah. you know, but it was, but when, when you go to Thailand and everybody's just so oh, smiling yeah. and thankful. And yeah. so it's just, it's, it's, it is a society sure. issue too. Sure. Well, even here, I mean, when we moved back to Texas from California, we were blown away, literally, yes. by the people in the convenience stores that would say hello as exactly. you were walking. Exactly, so friendly. Ha happy to see exactly. you and the list. Exactly, I you hear it all the time <laughs> from the north and from the west. They're like, 
That's and and that's one of the things that we David and I always liked about Oklahoma and Texas are those are two of the states we wanted to raise our children in. Good yeah. good people, good yeah. people, you know, as a whole. Definitely, yeah. I, I actually did a, a class for the the chief information officer at the state of Oklahoma uh-huh. and got to spend a couple of days oh, in Oklahoma it. City. Uh-huh. Go to the rodeo there. Oh, cool! Or was it rodeo or a... we used to have we used to host the national finals rodeo. We used uh, to go to that every year, but they 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 do have still have some PBR and other yeah. radios. Yeah, it's fun. I like going there. And the, the uh, new river walk that they oh, created. Oh, it's fabulous. I, phenomenal. And that's what I'm really proud of. The, I mean, you look at how the hardships that Oklahoma endured. Everybody thinks of Grapes of Wrath. Mm-hmm. And they have more man-made lakes, I think, than any other state. They have a lot of shoreline used to. It was. It, it, they even passed Minnesota at one time, but then I think they, they it's, it's in the top five, which you wouldn't think. Texas even buys water from Broken Bow, uh, which is crazy that that, that's one of the reservoirs. But it's just, I'm proud of the leadership because in Oklahoma City, when I was growing up, Tulsa was really passing it as far as progressiveness. Mm. They always compared Tulsa to Dallas and Oklahoma City to Fort Worth. And the mayor and the leaders said, oh, well, let's, let's do something. And so they, they did a couple of things. They, they rerouted the Canadian River, which was dried up half the time. And they knew they could never be another San Antonio, but right. they did make Bricktown kind of into what the West End and stuff. Right. And it really was vibrant. And I've had friends that, that invite me back to the Thunder Games and they got the Oklahoma City Thunder because the man who owned it, Mr. Bennett, he owns the Sonic. On, on Sonic. Got it. At drive-in, and it's corporates in Oklahoma City. Yeah. He owned the Seattle Sonics, and the story is he wanted Oklahoma City to have a, a basketball team, a professional, because right. Oklahoma doesn't have a professional anything. Right. And so, anyway, he, at that time, it was Katrina and the New Orleans Saints, not the Saints, but the Jazz, they couldn't play in New Orleans. So they allowed them to go to Oklahoma City, and they showed that Oklahoma City could fill the arena in a minute. They had some of the highest attendance rates. So they, they allowed him to bring his team, the Seattle Sonics, to Oklahoma City. Well, they wouldn't let him keep the name Sonic, uh, which was, of course, his Sonic drive-in. And it. so anyhow, <laughs> they did choose the Thunder, yeah. but he still is the owner. Yeah. But it's a, it's a cool story, and it's just one of those, again, of perseverance and of seeing, it's like I said, seeing Oklahoma City be vibrant is Well, and is loving your hometown awesome. and, oh, absolutely. and uh, doing something with it. Exactly. That's exactly. awesome. So I, I think um, we've gone through some really exciting conversation. Thank you very much for that. I'm going to read the introduction of who the Daughters of the American Revolution is. Mm-hmm. And then I'll just ask you about what your involvement with it is sure. and why you think it's important for people to look at at our history and that kind of thing. So who are we? The Daughters of the Revolution was founded in 1890 and headquartered in Washington, D.C. as a nonprofit, nonpolitical volunteer women's services organization dedicated to promoting patriotism, preserving American history, and securing America's future through better education for children. I love that. DAR members volunteer millions of service hours annually in their local communities, including supporting active duty military personnel and assisting veteran patients, awarding thousands of dollars in scholarships and financial aid each year to students, and supporting schools for underserved children with annual donations exceeding $1 million. One of the most inclusive genealogical societies in the country, DAR boasts 190,000 members and 3,000 chapters across the United States and internationally. Any woman 18 years or older, regardless of race, religion, or ethnic background, can prove 
lineal descent from a patriot of the American Revolution is eligible for membership. Encompassing an entire downtown city block, DAR National Headquarters houses one of the nation's premier genealogical libraries, one of the foremost collections of pre-industrial American decorative arts, Washington's largest concert hall, and an extensive collection of early American manuscripts and imprints. So that's who they are at a national level. I was excited to see that you were part of it. I really don't know much about it, but I figured if, the, if you're a part of it, it's pretty awesome. So what is the, what is the, what do you guys do here locally sure. and, and how would somebody get involved with that? Well, when I retired, that was one of the first things that I did was I got into genealogy and thankfully Dr. Julie Sherman, who is with the grapevine, it's the, our chapter is the Captain Molly Corbin chapter. Okay. And she helped me. I had always heard we had family Bibles that we related to Daniel Boone. Didn't think it was a cousin or an uncle. We really didn't know. And so one of my cousins also got into genealogy and said, well, I think he might be our grandfather. And we were like, oh. And so I went to Dr. Julie and, and showed her what I had. And she said, I think we can prove this. And so I had to get probate records from Nathaniel Boone, his son, which is grandfather, and found out he was my great-grandfather times six generations. And so I got probate records, death records, birth certificate records, and proved it. And when, when you do that with the American Revolution, you find your patriot and you trace it all the way back to your lineage, then they give you a, a number. And they, first of all, they have all these genealogists there at the Hall of Constitution that verify your records. And they check it. I mean, they check the court records, they check everything. And once you have a number and are a member of the Daughters of the American Revolution, then all of your ancestors following, they keep those records at the, the Constitutional Hall. And so it's, it's preserved. And, and so now my grandchildren, their grandchildren, can just use that number and they don't have to go back and and, and and do all the paperwork. They just connect it to that number. So it's it's a very worthwhile organization. We every every Memorial Day we do a ceremony at Blue Bonnet Cemetery there in Colleyville. And we also lay reefs on veterans' graves and we do lots of volunteering. One of our favorite things that we did was a sip and snip where you snip and make those flannel blankets and tie the knots and we did that and took oh, oh, hundreds of blankets down to the veterans there in Dallas. Okay. And uh, we go into schools and teach them about patriots and, of course, the scholarships. But it's a very worthwhile organization. We give care back packages to our firemen to in our cities that, you know, do so much for us. And it's a, it's a very worthwhile organization. I need to be more involved. I haven't. We always send a nice delegation to D.C. every year, and they wear all of these badges with all these buttons and stuff and I'm not as involved as some of the people in my chapter so I have a long way to go and I'm still learning but it's a very very worthwhile organization very cool well I'm I'm glad to to learn about it and I appreciate you continuing to learn too sure it's a, a great thing in life yeah, you bet. well this has been a, a fascinating conversation oh, thank you um, oh, I knew it would I knew, no 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 I knew it would be I knew it would be it was exactly what I was hoping that it would be and, and we went where where I wanted to go. Is there anything that you wanted to talk about that we didn't? No, I'm just, I'm just honored. It's, it's 
I'm proud that we have all kept our relationship going. And I never liked Facebook when I was a principal. I never was on it because I would even get on, I was the Facebook police. I would get on to teachers like, you can't be on this during work. And and then when I got on it, I, would, I reconnected with a lot of former students yeah. and as well as the parents. And it's, it's maintained that good relationship through that. So I'm very grateful. I love keeping up with my students and where all they went. And I've tried to go to several other graduations. And we had Miss Jackson's granddaughter just got her acceptance into OU. And so uh. we had to get together and, and welcome and, 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 you know, it was a little welcome box. And of course we had to have signs and Betty made signs. And, but it was really cool. Uh, McKenna started there. In fact, McKenna was a kindergartner when I retired, but several of her fifth grade teachers, kindergarten teachers, the counselor all came. And then some of the markets and Briar Hill teachers were there. So I love our community, how we support one another. And unfortunately, whether it's good times or bad times, we're there for each other. And this is, I wouldn't trade it. If I had it to do over again, I would have moved to this area. But at that time when we were moving, everybody said, go to Plano or wherever. And we didn't, we didn't know. Yeah. And there was no blue ribbon school here. There wasn't a blue ribbon school at that time. <laughs> you exactly. had to, you hadn't we had to planned it. We had, we had to do it. We did. All right. And what was neat is Marcus is, is one as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. Dr. Stig Larry Siegler went through that and he got it. I remember it was really exciting because that way we had Heritage and, and, Mar and Marcus. Yeah, I think it's and still, Village it's still in the top 50 yes, or so schools is. in the country. It is. So, yeah, we're very blessed to be here. Thank well, thank you, you very much for coming out. It was a pleasure to, to get to know you better and to catch up on all the, the great things you're doing. We'll see you soon. Thank you so much. Right. Appreciate it. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.